Welcome to The Pew, the place where everyday guys talk about everyday things in front of the one person who can do something about it, Jesus Christ. Now here's your host, just a guy in the pew, John Edwards. Well, welcome back to the Pew, everybody. I am your host, John Edwards, and here to the left of me, or excuse me, in front of me. In front of me, yeah. I keep saying it. Old habits. Forever. We were right. in that other booth. Right. Now we are here in this studio. So across the table from me, as always, is my co-host and cohort, Victor Adams. John, it's good. Just to let you know, I am recovering from acute sinusitis, so if I do <laughs> cough, it's, it's going to be a gentleman's cough like, <laughs> like that. So All right. Be, I don't even know what that means. It won't so be like... Throat issue? <laughs> well, it won't be like, you know, like the uh, David, you know, Doc Holliday coughing up a lung cough. So, there you go. Well, I think but, we're both in that situation, yeah. man. After we had our Italian Fest, the Memphis Italian Fest, which our parish puts on right. last week, and I was out there from Saturday until this yeah, past you, Sunday. You pulled and, more time than I did, but my head was like the size of a balloon. It felt oh, like pressure-wise. Yeah. Of well, well, it didn't rain here for like three right. weeks, so there was dust. I mean, imagine, you know, well, you don't have to imagine you were there, but right. everybody else that's listening, imagine like 30 golf carts driving around all the time with dust kicked up everywhere and inhaling that for seven days. So A little bit of pollen mixed in there, Yeah, too, we're right? both sounding kind of scratchy and beat down. Mm-hmm. But, hey, we're feeling good, we're in right. good mood, and we love Jesus, right? That's right. <laughs> well, it's been, it seems like it's been forever because we went on the pilgrimage, but then we had an episode, and then we were both off with Italian mm-hmm. Fest and doing stuff like that, too. Um, but we're back this week, and I'm excited to do something that I said what we would do in the last episode, which was talk about the Holy Land pilgrimage, right. you know, it's been some time now, I've been able to sit and reflect and really just look back on some of these moments and some of the great things that we experienced and just some of the memories. So we're going to talk about that today and we're going to get to that in just a second. But first I wanted to say, as we always do, thank you to our donors, uh, all of you that have been donating since the beginning, especially thank you. You've been with us since the start. All of us that have, all of you that have joined us here lately that have, you know, become $5 a month, $10 a month, $50 a month, $100 a month, or even more. Uh, We thank you for that. As we say every episode, we cannot do this without you. We cannot grow this ministry without your contribution. People ask me all the time on the road or whenever they see me out somewhere, John, we love what you're doing if they if they love it. I've had some people say we don't like what you're doing too. <laughs> we're not talking about them right now. Right. Uh, we're talking about the people who seem to appreciate what we're doing. They say, how can we help? And that's exactly how you can help is become a monthly supporter. Um, nothing helps us more than knowing that we've got that revenue coming in so we can continue to make business decisions to grow and to provide services for people in places that may not have uh, you know, the usual fee and stuff like that to bring us in. So all of that goes to support people, to have scholarships, all those things to help parishes. So if you have given to us, thank you. If you have not, you can become a monthly supporter at com. There's a donate button there in the top right corner, or you can go to donorbox.org slash pew. There you can become a donor, like I said, and look, every bit of it goes to help support the ministry. We need it, and we appreciate every one of you that do that. Another big announcement we have is we have just changed our website. I've talked about it on and off on the show for the last few months. It's up and running. Our new website is dedicated to the heart of our ministry, and that ministry is to go and help men become the men that God created them to be, to continue to go into parishes all over this great country and around the world and help men start vibrant, life-changing groups for men. I'm not talking about your regular Bible studies or some traditional things have been done, but a place where men can be ministered to in the wholeness of a man, right? Where they could fellowship, worship, serve, and form together. 
You know, we've seen incredible bonds, Victor, grow in these groups. Uh, men that didn't weren't anywhere near close to Jesus at all. Men that had didn't have any real friendships in their life. Men that have gotten away from addictions and things in their lives and have become completely different men, not because of you and I, but because of what the Holy Spirit is doing through these groups that we've started. Look, we know why they don't exist. People don't have a structure. They don't have a leadership model. We're out there giving those things. This is what we love to do. So our website now is data, dedicated completely to it. Go there and check it out if you haven't looked at it yet. It's easy to connect with us and get us to come into your area and area and help you start a men's group. Uh, we are booked up pretty much through 2023. we got a couple of spots left in the fall. Beyond that, uh, it's time to start looking at 2024 and 2025. The Lord has really blessed the ministry. And so we can get to you as soon as 2024, maybe a couple spots in 2023. But we're don't worry about that because we need time to be able to help you along the way anyway. Um, there's things we have to do before we even get there to help you um, put fertilizer in the ground, if you will, right. to make sure this is something that lasts. Prepare, prepare the area. Yeah, yeah that's right. what we're interested in, Victor, right. is fruit that lasts. So, again, you can check out our new website at justguyinthepew.com if you're interested in booking us. It's easy now to do the parish stuff, but if there's you want us for men's conferences or anything else, there's still the events at Book Me page. You can find us there. So, Victor, um, I know we're kind of in a rush today, too, because we've got schedule crunches for you and I and for Angela. But... I wanted to call this episode today the fifth gospel. Uh-huh. And some people may read this and go, what is it? Did they find another gospel somewhere in more Dead Sea Scrolls? What I'm referring to is what people who have been on pilgrimage and have done pilgrimage for years, what they refer to the Holy Land as is the fifth gospel. And the reason that they do that is because it makes the four gospels come alive. You know, um, before we went to the Holy Land, you know, we traveled there with Angela and 71 other pilgrims and Father Larry Richards and Ramona from Select Travel. Um, and it was a wonderful, wonderful trip. And I had so many images in my mind, man. Like, we've all read the Bible, and you have every one of us has our unique ideas of what the Sea of Galilee looks like. You know, for instance, I thought it was a sea. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's a landlocked lake. Yeah. You know, so there's a big thing you figure out real quick. But there's a lot of these scenes that you have in your mind, and then you get there, and there's churches built over those things. But you start to see what the area was like, the different types of the land that Jesus walked and traveled through, the deserts, the lush areas where they're growing strawberries and dates and all of these things. But you see all this and it just comes alive for you because you can finally put images with places you, your mind has only imagined, right? I mean, for me, it was like, and people are going to say this is a dumb analogy, I'm sure. But, you know, New York City, you see it in movies as a kid, Home Alone and all those things. And you know, in the second one, and a lot of other movies, Ghostbusters, things like that. And I always was like, man, I want to go there. It seems magical, right? And so Angela had a work trip there one time, and Jacob and I went years ago, and it really was like, wow, wow, this is really like this, and wow, this looks like that. Like the museum that night in the museum was filmed at. Doesn't really look like it did in in the Ben Stiller movie, Mm -hmm. but you still were there, right? And you got the correct image in your mind, and then you could relate better to that place because you had been there and you experienced it. And that was what was amazing about this trip. And I'm so thankful to select travel to Adida and Ramona and and Matt and Jane and all the folks over there that helped plan this. Victor, I've already been talking to them about we're going to go back to the Holy Land every year or every other year. We're going to go to France next year. We're going to go to Italy. I can't announce all of it yet and who we're going with. But I have fallen in love with leading pilgrimages, mm-hmm. man, especially to the Holy Land. And so I, I can't wait for you to go. And I can't wait to just sit here and talk about it in this episode. 
Well, you talk about the fifth gospel, and and what it, that is is whenever we read a gospel, we it's life changing because it's we're learning about what you know Christ our Messiah is telling us to do, or seeing how the disciples reacted to his words and how other people reacted to his words. And then when we put all these references, what we learn from like from a young age, like you said, we we create this image of what we think it looks like, yeah. right? Like if if I ever went to the Mount of Olives, I'd, I'd have an idea it was an old olive tree, and there has to be a stone right there, and that's probably the stone that Jesus was praying at. But for me, I never lay my eyes on it. I'm putting it together as a puzzle. And I think when you make a connection with something that is actual location or geographical location, and you can say this is where this happened, yeah. you know, then like when I went to Rome. I went to St. Peter's Cathedral, you know, and so I saw all these sayings, I, you know, and I went into a room. I'm wondering, why is everyone looking up, you know, up, up at the ceiling? Well, I'll find out, realize I walked into Sistine Chapel. So, I mean, unknowingly, I go, oh, this is where I am, you know? But yeah. I mean, like, I saw many pictures <laughs> No <about> pictures. It. <laughs> right. <laughs> no pictures. I mean, it was like, you know, you, you, you know, people say what it is, but you don't really have that experience until you do it yourself. So the fifth gospel is kind of what you experience, you and Angela experienced in those other 71 people. And and obviously it's life changing because when you do a pilgrimage, you're you're following the footsteps of previous saints. Yeah. And you're learning about the culture, only the culture, but also the biblical culture of where it raised in the sense of the gospels connections. Yeah. And what's cool about it is pilgrimage is something that's been going on for mm-hmm. years, hundreds of years. I mean, all yeah. these sites you go to, there's a church that was built on a church that was built on a church that was built on a church, right? Like the, the um, crusaders built something mm-hmm. or the Byzantines or something, you know, there was all these different things. And you realize that for years beyond this, like you, you're a part of something that Christians have been doing now for years. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there's some of the, the church fathers that you, you look at their writings and, and that's where they said, OK, there was this cave here and it was next to this. And Christians have long you know, protected and considered this. This was a spot where this happened. Mm-hmm. And so you see all that. So the first part of pilgrimage that I really enjoyed was knowing that we're walking in the footsteps, first and foremost, of Jesus right. and all the apostles and Mary and Joseph and all the people of that time and of the Bible of the New Testament in the Old Testament, because you're in Jerusalem, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just the New Testament. You're you're going to Mount Precipice, Precipice which mm-hmm. is where you look out and you can see over basically Gideon's battles and all of these things that happened in the Old Testament. But also, it's the place where they carried Jesus after he read Isaiah um, 61, I believe, in the synagogue in Nazareth where they were going to throw him off. And you can look up there and go like, whoa, they really were trying to murder him because this place is, like, you're so high in the air. The wind is blowing your hat off. Like, your clothes are whipping in the wind, mm-hmm. and they carry him up there to throw him off of there. But you also can look out, and you can see Matt, Mount Tabor, and you can see all of this stuff as far as the eye can see. And, and the gods are sitting there going, this is where this happened, and this is where this happened. And so now, like, every time I go to pray with any of those things in the Old Testament or especially in the New, you see all this stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the biggest things that's happened for me is – you know, I'm going to admit this, and I'm not ashamed of it. I've never been a daily rosary prayer. When I have been, it's because someone's guilted me into it. You know, Angela says it every day, and she loves doing it. It's a part of her spirituality. I'm still growing in that relationship with Mary, and I say them when I feel called to say them. But i got to tell you, ever since I've been back, I've been saying them a whole lot more often because now when I'm going into the rosary, I always had problems meditating on the mysteries in the past, keeping my mind you know, on that particular mystery and not just trying to get through the rosary. But now I've been there. And so every one of these places that is a mystery, 
I've literally stood in right. and I have images of it. So when I'm praying now, like it's much more easy for me and more desirable for me to pray the rosary because I've been there and it and, and I've literally touched the places where these things happened and it's become real to me, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's been one of the most profound things for me since I got back is just praying the rosary. But I mean, Victor, there's so much to talk about. I mean, people have been asking me, when are you going to do show? When are you going to do show? And I was like, dude, it is overload. You yeah. go there and it's amazing. I mean, we we landed in, in Tel Aviv. Ansel and I got there a day early. Father had beat us there. He was in the hotel when we got there. Uh, we went up to Mag- the Magdala Hotel, which is owned by the Legionnaires of uh, uh, Legionnaires of Christ. And uh, it's right there where Magdala was, the city of Magdala. Mm-hmm. And they actually unearthed part of all that city when they built the, uh, the hotel. Yeah. There's an actual, uh, like, pretty intact synagogue right there right, like a stone or something yeah like that. all that stone yeah, yeah, yeah you could see the middle of it right. where they would have uh had the tabernacle i mean all right. those things and so you go and in um then they have a church right there on the sea of galilee mm-hmm. and it's got four chapels with mosaics that are pre- depicting the different things jesus did on the sea the calming of the storm the the um the uh calling of peter all those things right. uh the calling of mary magdalene because obviously it was her town uh, the walking on water, all of that stuff. But Galilee is amazing, man. Like, it's just, it's lush. It's beautiful. It's got a lot of hills and mountains. Mm-hmm. The center of it's obviously the Sea of Galilee, the center of where everything happened. And and that's the thing, Victor. You find out it's 36 miles around. So when you hear things like when Jesus gave the Bread of Life discourse and it says that they ran around the lake when he went in the boat to go to the other side and they beat him there, it's like, how could they have run around a sea? Mm-hmm. Well, it's a lake, right. and it, they only ran like 15 miles. Mm-hmm. So they were able to get over there very quickly to get to Jesus. And so all this stuff becomes real at that point. You know, and, and I was I was blessed to be able to preach at a lot of the places. You know, Father did all the masses, and he did Father Larry stuff, you know, just hitting everybody in the gut and mass and yeah. making them laugh and really just getting very emotional with all of us in these wonderful places, even though he'd been there before. But... Yeah, Victor, I mean, it, it just, the gospel's really come alive there. And I got to tell you, I can't wait to go back. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a part of me that just wants to be there all the time. Right. Well, I'm sure there were, like, several places that you were, like, profound in the m- moment of where you found yourself. You kind of, you know, snapped to as to, like, this is my reality. Is Was there, like, a moment that maybe you and Angel were able to share uh, of, like, a, a poignant, like, a oh, yeah. soul-touching uh, emotion? Sure. Yeah, every time she'd bring me a beer from the bar. Yeah. It was good. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Angela, I'm a, kidding. Just kidding. That's the holy bar. She's right? like, yeah. that's not the finger you're supposed <laughs> to right. use when you're, yeah. <laughs> you're waving me to talk. Yeah. Um, no, honestly, there was a lot. I yeah. mean, at first, I had, I had the first couple of days I had to get my sea legs, if you will. Right. Because I'd never led a pilgrimage before. And Father was kind of doing the mass stuff, but leaving the rest of the group management to me into Ramona. And so it took me a couple of days to get mm-hmm. – um, my legs under me. And so, you know, Angela, I talked about it at first. I think she was a little surprised. I mean, Angela, I don't want to speak for you, but because I was busy doing a lot of that stuff. But after the first couple of days and I started getting accustomed to it, then I could go, okay, the guide's good. The people are in line, like not in line, like behaving, but right. like we're all in a group and, and all that stuff. And, and I could go and I can walk with Angela and I can talk with Angela about this stuff. Cause you're, you're also wanting to be cognizant of people paid because they wanted to go with you too. And so 71 people is a lot of people to talk right. to. But that's also one of the, the parts of the trip that I love the most is a lot of those people are texting me. They're sending me emails. They're inviting me to their parish. 
a lot of the people didn't even know who I was because they went because of Father Larry. And now mm-hmm. there's all these people that are, that are introduced to our ministry now that are listening, that are commenting on Facebook, that are inviting us to their parish, that are coming to Memphis for healing the whole person. So it's just that was I mean, the relationships we made was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I, I would continue to do pilgrimage to continue to grow in relationship with people like that. It was like church camp for me, like going and being a counselor. And you don't want camp to end, right? Mm-hmm. Because you've met all these wonderful people and you want to be with them the rest of your life. That's the kind of experience. And that's what I wanted. I wanted people to feel like John is who he says he is. And John would just assume like to go sit with me in a bar and have a beer with me as he would, you know, go out there and, and preach about whatever place we're at. Mm-hmm. And so I hope that people felt that way because that was really important to me to, to just to be that person. But back to the Angela piece, you know, I know one thing that was very special for both of us was at Cana. You know, I mean, we got to go and renew our wedding vows. Our 16th anniversary was just past Friday, June the 2nd. So a couple of weeks before our anniversary, we got to go there and do that. And it was so special. I remember standing there and looking in her eyes, and and we were both tearing up. I mean, I was probably crying more than her because she's manlier than me. She's tougher than me. <laughs> but I don't mean – I feel like I'm going to be in trouble after this episode. But uh, but no, like she just – I remember her looking in, her eye, in my eyes and gleaming and – Look, when we got married, I wasn't in the right mindset that I should have been, right? I was still in my old ways and was still selfish. And for the first time in a long time, when I looked at her, I just I saw her love for me, and I, I felt my own deep love for her. Mm-hmm. And it was just overwhelming to renew those vows in the very place where Jesus had performed his first miracle. And, and so many to witness so many other couples with us doing the same. So I know that was profound um, for her and I. I mean, I remember standing on Mount Presbytus with her and, and, and holding her hand and looking at that. I remember being on the Mount of Beatitudes and, and sitting there, you know, with her on a stone for a few minutes. And when everybody else had kind of gone for free time looking around and just kind of looking out over the Sea of Galilee. Uh, I remember standing on the boat with her at the Dead Sea, mm-hmm. uh, or not the Dead Sea, excuse me, the uh, Sea of Galilee on the back of the boat with her and Father Larry. Did you do the Titanic thing? Yeah, uh, we joked around about it. I actually was doing that with Father Larry. <laughs> yeah, I picked him up. And, <laughs> but, Put me down. But yeah, that's yeah. right. You pagan. Yeah. But it was, no, it, there was just so many things. It's hard to, mm-hmm. it, it's such a huge trip that it's hard to just zero in on all the parts. But, you know, there was sometimes too, just being in the room and, and talking at night, you right. know, about the day that we'd experienced and what she had felt and what I had felt. Um, yeah, there was just uh, sitting by her on the bus every day. Yeah. You know, there was nobody else I would have rather have gone with. You know, I mean, I wouldn't have wanted to go without her, and I hope she gets to go on every pilgrimage well, we ever do. It sounds like a great two-week date night that yeah. you guys really went on. <laughs> with and a I, lot of other people. Right. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, that's the thing. I think it, yeah. you know, when we do something like that, you know, we open ourselves to, to, to love and to be loved. And then on top of that, focus on where we are, you know, yeah. in our in our spiritual journey together as a, as a husband and wife. I, sure. You know, Chris and I, we, you know, we do the rosary every night just because it's like we found our life, our, it can be so complicated with everything that, that revolves around it. And it looks like you guys are able to kind of identify that those things kind of come in and kind of take away that time from you that you guys want. And, and that the moment at Cana, you guys are able to totally reconnect again. You yeah, know? no, we really, great. we really were. And then just to, there were some times too where I was busy doing other things yeah. like, Hey, you got to catch up with this or, Hey, right. like now's not the time to buy gelato, right? Yeah. Like, or whatever. Gelato was a big thing on our pilgrimage. The people that are listening right now Did you have, like, are going to remember that the flag. And oh, like, there was, waving. we, I think if we were, if we were on good behavior, we got rewarded yeah. with gelato gotcha. <laughs> or a Magnum, uh, which is an ice cream. Oh yeah. That's, too. Yeah. That's a big thing. Yeah. Well, Magnum hummus, all that stuff. And too. the story that you told me, and, and if you want to share, you can, but 
is I think is is a moment where it was a story that was probably shared through the history, but never written in the gospels. Where Jesus was like, um, they put him in a cistern. You told me that. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Tell yeah. me that story because I thought that was fascinating. Yeah. So there's that's probably the most impactful moment right. for me. A lot of people would probably guess it would be the Holy Sepulchre or, or something like that. But for me, honestly, it was uh, what you're talking about, and. It was it's at Caiaphas' house is what yeah. you're talking about. It, over there, it's called the Church of Peter and Galakantu. The high priest. Of yeah, and yeah. so it's it's built over uh, Galakantu, and it's built mm-hmm. over uh, Caiaphas's house. So you go in, and it's it's really not that magnificent looking of a church compared to all, a lot of the other places you go over yeah. there. But you go in, and like you know, you sit down, and the guides talk in, and we had a great guide too, Hanny and and and, and Abram too. We had two guides because we had two buses. And they were both magnificent. So if they're listening or catching up with us, man, thank you to them. They did a phenomenal job. But I was with Honey that day, and uh, there was this kind of hole in the floor with this glass around it and this rail. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing really like, what is that? You know, it yeah. was kind of small in, in its stature. But he told us, he said, this is the cistern where, uh, you know, as you read in the Gospels, they were afraid that they would be called out about having a trial uh, or, or, or convicting Jesus without a trial. Mm-hmm. So they did it in the middle of the night. You know, they went and got him at Gethsemane and they took him to Caiaphas's house. And obviously that's when Jesus, you know, started saying, I am, you know, when they asked him if he was the son of God and they tore their clothes and, you know, they had to, to hide him overnight. Mm-hmm. And so there was a cistern in uh, Caiaphas's house where they would ha- have held water. And this space was not very big around. I mean, maybe it was five feet in diameter, but they would have lowered Jesus down there by his hands. And it was maybe 30 feet down into this thing. I mean, it was very high up and or very far down. And they would have lowered him down there. And what you don't hear in the Gospels, what they said, you know, tradition holds and what they would have, what the way the house would have been there was there would have been water about waist deep there. And so Jesus, they lowered him down there and he was in that waist deep water so that he couldn't lay down, so that he couldn't sit down. Because if he did, he would dry. Right, right. And he was probably cold water. So he's freezing Mm -hmm. and they were torturing him. The soldiers were yelling at him from above. They were teasing him. It was completely dark. Now, what I didn't know is as soon as Hani was through talking about the things in the church there and then mentioned the whole, we go down in there. And as I mentioned, I was in the back a lot, trying to hurt it, you know, hurting people, Um, not hurting, but hurting people to make sure they're going in the right place. And that's what I was going to say about Angela. When I was doing that, a lot of times I got to see her and just watching the, the appreciation and, the joy of her experiencing this stuff and her own quietness sometimes mm-hmm. was some of my favorite moments. I haven't even told her that, you know, so Angela, that's something that you're hearing now. But um, we go downstairs. I'm the last one. So you're going down these this really steep stone spiral staircase into this small well. Mm-hmm. You know, and there was maybe 30 of us, and it's really tight in there. And I'm coming down the stairs, and I don't hardly fit in anywhere over there because everything's small. And Honey says, John, would you please go in and read? And my eyes were adjusting because it was, you know, there was a little window, but it wasn't super bright. Go in there, and there's this, there's this podium on their side. And I said, what do, you, what do you want me to read? You know, I quietly said something to him, and he handed me his microphone, and he said, this is Psalm 88. Please read it. Psalm 88 is, is written hundreds of years, obviously, before this. But when you go to read it, and I should have had the Bible open to this, but when you read it, it's, it, it's about everything that Jesus was experiencing in that moment. I'm opening the Bible now and killing time, guys. But so you can, you can, I can read a little bit of this. Um, just making sure I'm on the right one. Yeah, it's on Psalm 88. So it's called a despairing lament in the in this Catholic men's Bible. But it says, "Lord, the God of my salvation, I call out by day; at night I cry aloud in your presence. 
Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is filled with troubles. My life draws near to Sheol. I am reckoned with those who go down to the pit. I am like a warrior without strength. My couch is among the dead. Like the slain who lie in the grave, you remember them no more. They are cut off from your influence. You plunge me into the bottom of the pit. Into the darkness of the abyss, your wrath lies heavy upon me. All your waves crash over me because of you. My acquaintances shun me. You can make you make me loathsome to them. Caged in, I cannot escape. My eyes grow dim from trouble. All day I call on you, Lord. I stretch out my hands to you. Did you work wonders for the dead? Do the shades arise and praise you? Is your mercy proclaimed in the grave? Your faithfulness among those who have perished? Are your marvels declared in the darkness? Your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry out to you, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. You know, and it's just, I'm going to finish this because there's only a couple lines left. But he says, why do you reject my soul, Lord, and hide your face from me? I've been mortally afflicted since youth. I have borne your terrors and I'm made numb. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day they surge round like a flood. From every side they encircle me because of you. Friend and neighbor shun me. My only friend is darkness. Victor, when I read that, I had no idea what I was reading. Mm-hmm. And I started crying like two lines into that. My only friend is darkness. You have lowered me into the pit. You start to see that there's no way that this stuff can be made up. That no one was that good back then to go, oh, well, now this we could write the New Testament about this and, and make it sound so perfectly put. No, this is the divine revelation of God. This mm-hmm. is the truth. And when in that moment, like, I got so choked up that God said to something. He was like, you really moved me. And people were crying. And everybody, there wouldn't have been a window. It would have been complete darkness. And just to feel that loneliness and that isolation and the pain of what we did to him, right, that we do to him every time we sin. And, like, mm-hmm. I, I just felt so isolated and alone. And I felt so guilty for what he had to go through because of us. And everybody else went upstairs pretty quickly. But, Victor, I sat on the floor and I cried. <laughs> I sat there and I cried and I just sat in the floor and I didn't want to leave, you know, and I just kept thinking it should have been me. It should have been everybody else. And, but then I just started praying thanks for what he was willing to go for, for me because through me and through everybody else through for me and everybody else, it was just so impactful to me. You know, some of the places you're just so busy taking pictures and you're, it's the first time going through and I knew I'd be back, you know? And so I think that's some reason why some of the other places I was just like, wow, it's profound to be here, but not all of them were as impactful as that because mm-hmm. that was something that just was unexpected. I didn't know I was going to be asked to read. And as I was reading, I started realizing what it was about where I was right. and the person who was in there. There's even a place in that wall where Jesus' hand is supposedly imprinted from leaning against that wall um, with the one free hand that he had that wasn't tied. And it's just incredible. I mean, another place was Gethsemane, man. I mean, going in there and you can see over the city. So right above that is the place where um, where Jesus cried over Jerusalem. And I'm trying to – I had notes about all this stuff. The, but, you know, I, I, it's just so much. You know, I don't – it's well, so much to try to remember right. all the names. Well, you said, you doing said this, that but. there was like – you could see probably like the line of torches that he would – that would come Yeah, the Dominus Flevit. That's what that he was He was able to see it happening as he spoke and as yeah. he was praying knowing is about to start. It was yeah, he knew. And, and as you're there, yeah. you can look over the the old city. So right. you could see everything, the Temple Dome and, you know, everything where everything was. Herod's Palace, all that stuff. And he knew what was going to happen. He could see Caiaphas' house, all mm-hmm. those things. And he that's why he wept over Jerusalem because 
they wouldn't they wouldn't repent right right and it was going to have to come to what it was going to have to come to but then you go in and that's walking down the palm you know the palm road palm sunday road you come to there you take pictures there's also the trees there that they made the thorns from the crown of thorns they are massive man they are long and they look like daggers and i touched one and started bleeding immediately when i stuck my finger on one that's what they made the crown of thorns for and they've got them planted there and so they would have been natural to that spot too. Mm-hmm. So Jesus would have also seen the very plant that was going to be shoved into his head. Right, right. Right. So then you go down to the church of all nations, you know, the the church of um uh at Gethsemane, right? And and it's called the church the Basilica of Agony. And there's the Rock of Agony, and we got to have mass right there. And Father Larry did mass, Father um maybe could celebrate another group with us. But I got to stand right there, and I spent most of the Mass laid on that rock, like my head, my hands, everything. And as I went out in the garden, there's still 1,800-year-old olive trees there. You know, like the mother tree is, like, ridiculously old. Mm-hmm. And it's fenced in, so you can't go in it, but you could see down from there, too. And when we were there, it's one of the places I preached. You know, I preached at the multiplication of the loaves. I preached at the Mount of Temptation. I preached on the, the Sea of Galilee. I preached uh, at the... Um, at the healing at the pool where the the paralytic was healed, yeah. Um, I'm always I always slaughter that that name, but Basadia, Basadia, yeah, Basadia. Yeah, I can't. Right. I'm yeah. messing it up. But prayed at all those places about right. healing and all those things that preached about it. But at Gethsemane, I was able to read the priestly prayer of Jesus. What? Bethesda. 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 Yes, there you, there you go. The smart one in the room. That's Bethesda. Right. God, we sound like idiots. Bethesda. That's right. Pools of Bethesda. But we're sitting there at Gethsemane. And I got to preach there and we came out of the church after mass and everybody sat down and it's funny because these two people got like a fist fight right outside of the fence. And I told everybody to close their eyes because I didn't want them to be distracted. I read the priestly prayer of Jesus and I've done that at mission after mission after mission, but we were standing in the place where Jesus actually prayed for us, man. Mm -hmm. Like where he prayed 2000 years ago for us now in the future. Right. And the thing is, like you were saying a second ago in that garden, he would have had a perfect view of, of, the people coming for him, right? Right, like he would have seen them coming out, like down from Caiaphas' house. So six, seven hundred people in that cohort with torches and swords, and he would have been able to sit there on that rock and see those people coming for him. And so you wonder why he's sweating blood? It's because he could see them coming and getting closer and closer and closer. And the fear he must have had, right. and everything that he was willing to do. Like that's the thing that God. Now we're talking about one of them was that's really the place where salvation was won was in Jesus' yes, that that matching of the Father's right. wills and will and his will. Because he could have had a head start to get to leave. Yeah. Yeah. He could have snapped his fingers. He was right. God and changed right. everything. Yeah. But at that he said, Not my will be done, but right. yours. And it's in that moment that you feel the gravity of that's everything that our life is about. Right? That's everything that our life is about is coming to this place where we realize the most important thing that we could ever do in our life is giving ourselves completely and totally over the will of God mm-hmm. and making sure that our wills align. And when you're standing in that place where the God of the universe became man and gave up everything, something he completely did not have to do, and went through all of that, knowing full well what was going to happen, you can't leave that place and right. be the same. You can't. And that's the point of pilgrimage is you don't, it's not a tour, right? It's not a place where you just take some pretty pictures and you put it in a photo album next to Disney World and mm-hmm. the beach and Cancun or whatever else. You go there to be changed forever. And I'm, I'm so thankful to Father Larry for saying yes. I'm so thankful for Angela for going with me. I'm thankful to Peter and Marianne, my in-laws, 
for watching our kids for two weeks. I'm thankful for all the people that trusted to go with Father Larry and I. I'm so thankful for the guides and for select travel again. I'm the, I'll never go with anybody else. Mm-hmm. We only have a few minutes because Angel has to go somewhere, and I apologize for if this is a short episode or not, folks. But but one of the main things I want to say here about Select is they have a nonprofit foundation that they started because the Christians over there are hurting. They're one percent or almost one point six percent in the Holy Land. That's it in Israel of Christians. They're dying out, right? They're 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 outnumbered. They're leaving the country. All these things are not supported well there. You go over to Palestine, the West Bank, Gaza, all that stuff. There's more Christians there, but they're dying out too because they they don't have a way to make money. And mm-hmm. Select started a foundation, the only travel agency I know of that has started a nonprofit with people on the ground there that make sure the money that people spend traveling with them goes to support the Christians there. When we stayed in Bethlehem, we stayed at a Christian-owned hotel. We went one night and spent, I think there were 50 families that we all divided up with and went and ha- went into their homes and shared bread with them, their food, their meals, and we were able to take up donations from the groups we went with and give them money that would support them. Like I will never travel with anybody but select again. We had mass at every every at the Holy Sepulchre. We had mass in one of the nicest places you could have in that church. You know they made sure that our our journey into the tomb of Jesus, which is there's so much to talk about. I wish we had more right. time, and maybe we'll do a follow up episode yeah. part two. But select made sure that we were always comfortable. What we did, we were always safe. I never felt you know where people were going. Hey, I heard a thousand rockets got shot off. I say I never even knew it. You never heard anything, never saw anything. I never felt unsafe. Select did a phenomenal job, and I'm so proud to partner with them. I can't wait to go on more pilgrimages with them. And, Victor, I can't wait to take more people in this uh, that, that follow our ministry and that we meet on the road with us because I want to tell you something. I know we didn't get through much, and I want to maybe do a second episode. Maybe we'll do one Saturday to come out, part two. We can talk about some specific more places. But, if look, I know not everybody can afford to go on pilgrimage, but if you can – Start socking money away and go because I'll be forever changed and I cannot wait to go back. So many people, Hector Molina and, 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 and so many other people that have been, Father Larry, Father Mike, all these different people have told me, John, when you go over there, it's going to blow your mind. Mm-hmm. And they're right. And no matter what I say on these podcasts, no matter what Angela shares, it doesn't ever seem like you're ever doing it justice. We all need to go over there and, and let this be a part, let the fifth gospel become a part of our lives. And let the gospel become real for us. You know, if I had my choice of anywhere to go, that's where I would go. France is nice. Italy's nice. All those things. But to walk in the place where Jesus went and lived and walked and prayed and went away from everybody and was crucified and was resurrected and was kept in a hole and all those things. Where Mary was was the first evangelist announcing to Elizabeth. All of these things are just so magical. But they're real and they're true. And we see there, it's not about just the stones, right? The concrete stones. It's about us coming back as living stones of the faith. Mm-hmm. Ones that have seen and witnessed, right? Jesus says to us when we go on pilgrimage in the Holy Land, when, just like Andrew said to him, where do, you, where do you live? Come and see, right? He invites us to come and see us in the Holy Land to allow those things to change us forever. And then what does he do when he's ascending into heaven? And we were, we were on at the place at the Mount of the, of, of, um, of olives or I can't remember where the ascension is. Gosh, I'm getting so tucked up. People are like, I'm not going with you. You don't know where these places are, but no, we're, we're, he ascended. We were there on, on the feast of the ascension mm-hmm. blew our minds. We didn't even, that wasn't planned. It just happened. But he said at the ascension, Go now and make disciples. Mm-hmm. So when you go on pilgrimage, you show up 
Come and see. Jesus is inviting you to see where he walked, where he lived, to let him come alive in your life. That was my whole goal of that pilgrimage was to make sure. I Look, I don't know everything the gods know. I'm, I'm not a priest like Father Larry, but I know Jesus, and I love him, and I want people to, to, to see that he's real, and I want the gospel to be real, and I gave everything that I had, and hopefully the pilgrims really could, could attest to that, and I'll do that on every trip I ever go on is try to help people fall in love with Jesus and, and let him become real in your life. But then it's our duty and our part to do what he asks us when we come back. Go and share what you've seen and go and make disciples. So, Victor, next time you can ask more questions. I'm sorry. This is a very emotional thing for me. It's very awesome. Folks, thanks for listening. You may go, okay, this was a sales pitch for pilgrimage. Whatever you think, I don't care. I love the thing. It was amazing. I can't wait to go again. I can't wait to meet new people to go with us. We're going to announce some trips in the coming weeks. i got to wait till we sign contracts. But if you've ever considered going on pilgrimage, I would hope you would go with Select. I would hope you would go with Angela and I. Hopefully, Victor, at some point. Because we're going to make sure you have the trip of a lifetime. And more, more than that, we're going to make sure that you fall deeper in love with Jesus Christ. So, Victor, I didn't even think about a prayer today. So, one of the places we went to was the Pater Nostra. That's the place where we were given the Our Father. So, let's close this episode with the Our Father. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to Just a Guy in the Pew. To find out more about John Edwards or have him come to speak to your parish, group, or conference, go to justaguyinthepew.com or send us an email at justaguyinthepew at gmail.com.